Welcome to the Front Porch Talks podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ. Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. And I'm Margaret Michael. Thanks for tuning in today. And today we're joined by Pastor Todd Thomas. Pastor Todd, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Grayson. Margaret, thank you for asking me to be here. And Pastor Todd is the uh, pastor of the Timberville Church of the Nazarene. And Pastor Todd is with us today uh, to share about his book, A Life in Contrast, Thoughts from the Sermon on the Mount. And Pastor Todd, just start out telling us about how the idea for the book and the idea to write the book, how that came about. Okay. Well, a few years back, as I was doing some sermon planning, I felt led to preach a series through the Sermon on the Mount, a rather detailed series. It took up most of a year to preach through the series. At the finish of that, I kind of had the idea maybe I could use that series as a launch for a book, and I tossed that idea to a couple of trusted friends, and uh, they affirmed that I needed to maybe go ahead and make that effort. And so it kind of gave birth to that idea. I did discover that taking notes prepared for speaking and changing them for reading was an arduous task. (laughs) The learning curve was almost straight up. It was a lot of work. And then the editing process took care of any ego issues that were involved. So Yeah, that's always yeah. fun. Yeah. I had four <laughs> different think, edits. Man, that's really good. And somebody goes, oh, no. Oh, no. Not oh, happening. No. So how many red pins did you buy? <laughs> right, right. Had, uh, I think I had four different edits done. Uh, so, wow. The preaching took about a year. The writing then took about another year, year and a half. So it was about a two, two and a half year investment altogether. So give us just a brief synopsis of what this book entails. Okay. Of course, I've been exposed to the Sermon on the Mount for 50 years uh, and and heard a lot of great teaching and good preaching from that sermon. Uh, But as I was going through it and doing my research and study, uh, it just became obvious to me that what Jesus was doing was showing a glaring contrast between those who belong to him and how they live and those who do not. And that's kind of the tone of the book, hence the title of the book Mm -hmm. that Jesus is teaching. This is a life in contrast. And he kind of hints into that more than once throughout that sermon. So I guess overall, I just say this is a book showing us how to live in contrast to the world around us. Not in opposition necessarily, but in contrast. Yeah, kind of, you know, we think of the kingdom of God is an inverted kingdom. And I think of those that had followed Old Testament law and their world had really been turned upside down with this new truth. Mm -hmm. It was different. Um, It was certainly a huge difference, maybe even a contrast from what they had been engaging with the Old Testament. And I can only imagine bringing this truth to the people it was a lot for them to take in everything that had happened and everything that was as we know the rest of the story i often think about the people and how that must have affected them yes i think we struggle to appreciate the revolutionary nature of the sermon on the mount Mm. and we can't really appreciate it as we should if we don't understand the historical cultural setting of that time and how his words right from the very first few words. Yes. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poverty is not a blessed thing in any culture, but he starts right out with an issue of poverty and then just stayed on that track, Mm -hmm. you know, for those three, what we call the three chapters. And just, it was just revolutionary. Yeah. 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 That's, and you've stood there 
sure. been to that part of the world, yes. Mm-hmm. Several years ago, I was privileged to be there. How did that affect the writing of the book? I think maybe the early parts of the book where I talk about the geographical location mm-hmm. where Jesus is doing the teaching. I think having been there, it helped with that, yeah. to, to set the stage, if you will. Yeah. As I'd been there, and I'd, I'd seen the slopes, and I'd seen the geographical setting, the natural amphitheater, and the water nearby, mm-hmm. and uh, the terrain, and how people would have to travel. So it kind of influenced the thoughts of how this came to be, the people traveling in to be there, where he was, and the ability of the sound to carry, those kind of things. Yeah, it is. I've been there, too. Um, that is when you realize even how God used the lay of the land. But thinking about the people that showed up, like that desire, that hunger, that thirst that they had, and they came and heard a hard message. Yes. I don't know. There's just something that really touches me, and I just have compassion for the folks that were there on that hill as they hear what the kingdom looks like. Jesus, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's he's like, I have a kingdom, and if you're living in it, this is what it looks like. This is what it's going to look like for you. This is how you're going to be expected to behave, interact, practice, speak, express your attitude. Mm -hmm. This is how you're going to pray. This is how you practice life when you're in the kingdom. It was the beginning of a new narrative. Right. Right. And it wasn't presented as kind of a once and done check box of things. Yeah. I mean, it only took a few moments for him to present it. Really. Right. Right. We could read it through in seven minutes probably. Yeah. Right. But it gave the people an entire lifetime of truth to influence them from there forward. And for every believer since. Since, yes. There's so much to unpack um, in that sermon. And so how has this book, we'll get into the book a little bit, and I'll have you read here in just a few minutes, but how did this book change your life? Because I know it was a process. Mm -hmm. How did not only writing a book, that was quite a task, but engaging the Sermon on the Mount in such a deep way to make it understandable as much as we can humanly understand it from a human perspective. What was the process like for that uh, for you? Were there days when you're going, oh, shoot, I can't do that anymore? (laughs) You know, the Lord convicts us in the middle of our own. Right, right. Uh, There were pause moments. You know, there were moments when increased revealing of truth was like a glorious discovery. Mm. There were moments when that just seemed to push you back and you just needed to have some space to breathe, you know, to to rethink, to readjust, to take time to let that work in you. I I think if I I were trying to describe the change that occurred for me, uh, uh, prior to engaging the Sermon in the Mount at that depth, I, like all of us, looked at the scripture through a certain kind of bias. Mm. Unless we're very purposeful about it, we'll look at scripture through our cultural bias, our political bias, Mm -hmm. our personality biases. These aren't necessarily bad things, but it's just how we operate. But coming into the Sermon on the Mount in a detailed way changed that for me. It changed how I saw those things. Not just saw the things of the first century, but how I saw things around me. Mm. How I saw me in interaction with those things. How I thought about the kingdom and its influence, the kingdom of Christ and the influence of that kingdom on the world today. And how so much of what we think and do and practice in our culture doesn't fit that. Things that are a lot of times generally accepted among the Christian realm 
but really probably shouldn't be. Right. And uh, just wow, things involving politics, things involving violence, things involving the expression of our attitudes toward one another. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we do those in a certain kind of way, and Jesus taught, I want you to do them in a different kind of way. Not just one or two degrees different, but in stark contrast to the world, to the way it had been before. And so there were a few points that really spoke to me and caused me to have a complete change of worldview, if you will, Mm -hmm. on a few particular issues. Would you like to share just a couple of those points or a couple of those issues that stuck out to you that you really saw differently after? Okay. Well, one was the issue of, I guess I would have to say, Mm self-defense. You know, that's something a lot of people hold very dear, self-defense. And Jesus didn't really support that much. Uh, Now, I'm not talking about the same thing as national defense. I'm talking about self-defense. When you talk about be willing to be slapped, be willing to be slapped again. Ah, Turn the other cheek. Now, I know there's some cultural implications there, but this willingness to be insulted, assaulted, and not respond in kind. Don't hate your enemy. He said, uh, you've heard it said, you know, hate your enemy, but don't do that. In fact, we went on to say, don't even use language against somebody that releases your anger and with a desire to cause harm to them. He said, don't call them Raka and these other things, mm-hmm. which we don't understand. But in our culture, it might be don't call somebody a stupid idiot mm-hmm. as an expression of anger and an attempt to belittle them. Right. Don't do that. Yeah. Right. You know, so, oh, oh. And so, wow. You know, because uh, I'm very challenged by that, especially when I'm driving. Because <laughs> I meet a lot of those on the road. Right, right. right. So, like, oh, boy. So, you know, that was one, this issue of a physical response to somebody who is physically, wow. I don't think that he means I couldn't defend you if somebody right, came right. in to attack you. But if somebody is dealing with me personally, my first response can't be in kind. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Politics is another thing that changed for me pretty dramatically, that politics is not where the answer is. Right. Amen. (laughs) And our engagement in politics and then a release of the issues is not the appropriate response. We tend to elect people and hope they fix it. Yeah. Right. And this Sermon on the Mount was more like, no, you live this way. Right. You live in the kingdom and the kingdom fixes it. Right. You know, Jesus lived from a radical middle. Oh, yeah. You know, I think about the places he went, the examples that he gave us. There's one story that just kind of pops out in my mind about Jesus um, in in that way. And it was when he left Jerusalem and he was headed towards feeding the 5,000 and feeding the 4,000. It says he had to go through Samaria. Mm -hmm. That had to has to do with salvation. Mm -hmm. And here was someone that had lived a life that a lot of people, or she was going to the well in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Because she wasn't accepted That's in her right. culture. And just to really dig into that and see that this group of people that were so hated because of where they had came from. And I won't go into all those details right now, but it's just really interesting mm-hmm. when you really look into the Samaritans' background and why they were so hated. And this idea of when the Samaritans had came out of when the exile had happened... And some of the Israelites um, were left behind in the exile to kind of tend. Imagine Rockham County just being kind of everyone exiled. Somebody's got to tend some of the things that are left, right? The fields and there were some Assyrians that came in and they married. 
and then they were not pure Jews, and so there was a lot of tension uh, with the Samaritans. They weren't welcome anywhere. So in Jesus, on the way to uh, feed the 5,000 Jews and the 4,000 Gentiles, he made a little stop, and he brought someone to Christ who then brought the whole village. And in that action, that one conversation that he had brought a whole group of people into relationship. I think that's a life in contrast, right? Oh, yes. That's what he calls us to. Yes. um, To engage differently and to not take sides. And we need to vote. We have a right to vote. As American citizens, we have to do that. Um, and do our part, but we are called to be Christian first, right? Yes. So, yeah, these days, we could have a lot of conversations about that, but we won't because we're talking about your book. But just identifying where Jesus lived his life. He preached this, but he lived it. Certainly, yes. Um, Pastor Todd, I know you were talking about, well, first of all, I've been to the Holy Land too, and I think the Mount of Beatitudes is one of the most beautiful places in the Holy Land. So it's kind of a great backdrop for the book and I'm sure gave you a different perspective as you said you talked about those traveling there and then he starts off with things like blessed are those who mourn and you mentioned blessed are the poor in spirit and uh, one of the things that you mentioned in the book was about how actually I'll just go ahead and quote you said loss is real mourning is real both are inevitable and unavoidable Many challenge the goodness and involvement of God when they face loss and mourning. Their spirit breaks, their heart cries out, their mind rages for some explanation, something to bring comfort. This teaching of Jesus assures us that for those who live a life surrendered to the kingdom of Christ, mourning brings us into his presence. So just talk about, I mean, we know as Christians that God meets us in our hard places, but just expand on, you know, that whole idea. Okay. You know, I, I've heard people say bad things happen to good people, and I, I say, no, bad things happen to everybody. Right. Amen yeah. to that. Not just to good people. Right. Part of the difference, though, is for those who belong to Christ, when these bad things come our way, and we are broken by them, mm-hmm. we are saddened by them, we mourn them, we deal with all kinds of emotional response to the traumas and the tragedies that visit our life. And Jesus teaches us, blessed are you when that happens. And it's important for us to understand, he's not trying to say, you're going to be happy when it happens. That's not what the word blessed means, is he used it in that ancient context. As you would go back further into uh, Jewish history, the idea of blessedness was the idea that you're being brought into a strengthened relationship with the one true God. And now let's say it. When you go through mourning, difficulties, despair, trauma, tragedy. Know this, God will use it to bring you into a strengthened relationship mm-hmm. with him. Right. Yeah, if we'll lean into him. There right. it is. Yeah. You see, yeah. this, this is something that brings you into a stronger, deeper, more real, if you would say, relationship, covenantal relationship with the one true God. Doesn't say it's easy, doesn't say it's nice. Things come that we didn't invite, and if we had the chance, we would reject. But they do come to us, and Jesus faces that reality head on with this teaching. This does happen, but know that when it does, God has not abandoned you. He can use it to actually increase your relationship to him. Yeah, you know, 
often when I have conversations with folks that find themselves in really hard places that they wish they could just run from, mm-hmm. I'll wait a little while, and if I'm in a conversation later on, I'll say, if you could go back and do it all over again, would you want to be the person you was before that happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have yet to hear someone say, yes, I want to be that person. Yeah. It's painful, right? but we are being made more like Christ. That's it. Right? Yes, yes. We are in his hands. That's the thing. Too often we get kind of caught up in wondering why those things are not in his hands. And let's move the focus. Instead of trying to make him responsible or blame or fault him for these things, Mm -hmm. let's change the focus and say those things are not in his hand. I'm in his hand. I am in the midst of these things happening. And he's working in me, with me, even through me. And when we come through this, as it says later in the scriptures, the trials are like refining fire for gold. Mm. And the relationship, the covenantal relationship with God is improved. Mm. Yeah, These are good words for any time in history. Sure, Um, They're good words for today. Right. There's a part in your book I would love to just allow our listeners to hear you read a little bit of your book. And this is chapter 11, and it's on light. And I would love for you just to read... It's not a whole lot, three pages, uh, because this just really impacted me as um, you explain a little bit about light. And so I'm going to just hand you the book and sit back and listen. What's interesting, you pick this uh, across the past couple of years as people have purchased the book and asked me to sign it. I'd sign it and then put Matthew 5, 13 and 14, mm. which is, which is yeah. this is included in that. Jesus did not present the Beatitudes as character traits to be developed in private and lived out in secret. The Beatitudes are to have a transforming effect on us and in us and then have a transforming effect through us. Jesus states that as a result of the Beatitudes, we invade the world as salt, slowing the rate of corruption where we live and work, being the living document of the covenantal relationship God desires to have with all people. Now he states we are to penetrate the darkness of our world as light. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That's Matthew five fourteen through 16. As we consider his words, we must put them in the context of the early first century listener. Those listeners had a limited knowledge of light. It is unlikely that they had extensive knowledge of light spectrums, light waves, or the speed of light. They did not have advanced equipment by which they could take measurements and study the properties of light. They certainly had no concept of artificial light sources. Their understanding of light was limited to the observation of the sun, moon, stars, and fire. If we choose to use today's knowledge of light, spectrums, light absorption and reflection to create color, waves, speed, and bendability, we will be distracted from the simple yet profound truth intended. Jesus narrows their thinking to flame, particularly the flame of a lamp. For a few moments, let's simplify our thinking and take a seat among that first century crowd. What might they interpret these words of Jesus to mean? What truth would they draw from their lamps that would impact how they would live life? They would notice first Jesus did not offer them a lamp, literal or metaphorical, that they would then use to light their world. He is making no suggestion on how to create an instrument of light. He is not implying in any way that light be added to some kind of life arsenal. He is declaring, you are the light of the world. 
If I am to think of me as being light like the flame of a simple oil lamp, what does that mean? It means that I am not the source or the fuel of the flame. The flame and its source are not the same thing. So that immediately begs a question. What is the source or the fuel of me being light? Oil, olive oil. That is the source in the lamp at home in the first century, remember. The thinking process might have taken a journey something like this. Oil, uh, olive oil. Among our ancestors, such oil was used in the lamps of the tabernacle and the temple. It was also used for anointing priests and kings, even prophets. On more than one occasion, such anointing caused the Spirit of God to come upon that priest, king, or prophet. Hmm. Could this teacher be telling us that we need the Spirit of God to come upon us as the source of our being light in the world? In some mystical way, is our body meant to be the vessel in which this Spirit of God dwells as our source? How do we replenish this spirit so our fire does not go out? Now, the light of a fire is never its own source. Fire never simply exists. Fire is completely dependent upon an immediate and uninterrupted connection with its fuel source. There is a cause and effect cycle. Fuel, fire, light. Remove the fuel, there is no fire. Remove the fire, there is no light. We know this to be true in the law of physics. Yet do we know this truth in the realm of our spiritual journey? Wow. You know, on the next, over a page or two, you have written here, light has a purpose, a simple, profound, beautiful purpose, shine. Since the working presence of the Beatitudes in us makes us light, we have a simple, profound, and beautiful purpose, that is to shine. Yes. We do not have the option to turn the light on or off to suit our situation. We cannot turn the light on at work and then turn it off at home. So we can relax. We cannot turn the light on at church so we can worship and then turn it off when we go to school on Monday morning. We cannot turn it on when talking with colleagues and turn it off for our private hobby. Powerful, powerful words of living as light. Yes. And you spoke at the beginning of what you were reading about, um, and I will just, I won't try to. Say, this is what you said, I'll read it so I have it right. Jesus states that as a result of the Beatitudes, we invade the world as salt, slowing the rate of corruption. Now, I'm a farm girl. We butchered. Some of our listeners maybe don't even know what it is like to butcher. (laughs) But we would cure our meat. Sure. And there was a tremendous amount of salt used to cure meat. It was to preserve the meat so that it was... This is using the word corruption, like that's what salt does in the world as light. We're called to slow corruption, just like that salt in the meat was used to preserve. That which the, is good. Yeah. Well, the salt would uh, delay any decay in the meat. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, we were, we're looking for the salt to prevent decay yes. in the meat. And so being salt in this world has to do with... Um, The world should be different. Because of us. Because of us. Absolutely. When we walk into a room, the room should be different because we showed up. Absolutely. If we're light. Absolutely. And if we're being, if we're attached to the vine, if we're living from the oil of the Holy Spirit, then, you know, sometimes we, and I'm guilty of this, and the Lord convicts me of, sometimes I just, you know, have an opinion, right? We all do. Don't we? Yes. But then the Lord reminds me that I've been bought with a price, right. that I'm not my own. And that is, again, a life in contrast. As Jesus talked about salt and light, 
It's interesting that he didn't do it in terms that made you think that you could carry salt with you or carry a flashlight with you. Mm-hmm. Say, so you are it. Yeah. You are the salt. You are the light. It should be just a natural expression of who you are as a citizen in the kingdom. And I agree with you. When we walk into a group of people, a situation, wherever we are taking our lives, we should have those two things should be obvious, that we make a difference. Uh, Not because of our strength of personality, not because we're smarter than others, not because we have the best opinions, but because we're salt and light. And our very presence at the workplace ought to make that place better. Mm-hmm. Right. At school, it ought to make it better. Yeah. On the sports team, it ought to make that better. Right. When we leave an encounter with individuals, we should leave behind something that is better than when we arrived. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And wow, that is deeply challenging. Yeah, right? it certainly is. And it's impossible if we're trying to do it. Right. right. It's got to be a natural thing the in us. By, it's it's got to be a natural thing as a citizen of the kingdom. Yeah. That the spirit is at work in us, causing the Beatitudes to be living realities in us. Mm-hmm. You see, Jesus followed the Beatitudes with this salt and light. He's kind of saying, here's how you have to be. And when you are, here's what happens. Mm-hmm. You naturally become these two affecting things. And it can only be done. The salt and the light have to invade. Mm -hmm. We're no good as salt and light and staying in the sanctuary of our home or of our church building. Salt and light, you know what happens if there's too much concentration of salt? It ruins. It doesn't help. Right. 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 If you ever have a salt shaker lid come off when you go to put it on your food, it'll ruin the food. Too much concentration of light doesn't cause truth to be revealed. It causes people to be blind. So when we get when we when we get in those clusters, it's having the reverse effect Jesus wants. We have to invade, yeah, go out and be, not just huddle and be. Right. We are called to be in the world, but not of it. And to be that light um, in these days is so important. And now, now we don't have time to have the full discussion, but in the chaos of our culture at the moment, mm-hmm. Christians as citizens of the kingdom should have a salting and lighting effect on this chaos. Yes, enough said. There you go. Right. Yeah, and these traits were not meant to be just learned in private, and they were meant to be lived out, transformative, life-changing, and to be shared with others. And light yes. is something that you would share yeah. with others. Right. If you follow the flow of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, here are the character traits of a citizen. When those are existence, your salt and light... And let me show you now how that plays out in your attitudinal expressions toward people who assault you or insult you, how to respond to enemies who curse you. Then he starts saying, this is what salt and light, this is what salt and light do when you're confronted by these things of the world. And oh, by the way, right in the middle, let's pray. (laughs) Pastor Todd, just real quick in closing, since you were talking about showing mercy to those who have wronged us. You know, mm-hmm. God gave us mercy. Yeah, yes. We weren't worthy of it, which it wouldn't be mercy if we deserved it. That's correct. And uh, you were talking about praying for people. And I know in the book you talk about praying for those who wronged us and praying in a way that they might become our brother or sister one day. So any thoughts on that or God's mercy on us? Again, even in today's moment, in our chaos, this applies so dramatically. 
you know, it seems that we very easily get caught up in somehow we need to defeat our enemy. We need to disable our enemy. We need to expel the enemy. The best way for victory is to change the enemy into a brother. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Amen. Amen. That solves it all. Amen. That solves the whole thing. Right. And this teaching of Jesus leans that way. Right. And he says when people curse you, give them a blessing in return. Right. When they do these other things that are powerful and traumatic towards you, give them the opposite in return. Uh, live this out as the surest way to end the enmity mm-hmm. is to become brothers and sisters yeah. uh, in him, in the kingdom. It uh, doesn't solve personality differences, differences of opinions, but it will solve these issues of chaos and violence. Uh, and that's, I think that's the answer even now, and it has been uh, all along for those willing to practice it. Yes. Right? We think strength is the answer. Jesus showed us that self-sacrificing love is the answer. Yeah. You know, a very wise person that we all know once said, we don't have to be right, but we must be righteous. That's it. Yes. Pastor Todd, thank you for joining us today and thank you for sharing a little bit about uh, your book and uh, thank you for being obedient to God and writing the book. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. We pray that as we've talked to Pastor Todd Thomas about his book, A Life in Contrast, Thoughts from the Sermon on the Mount, that it has been a half hour of hope for your life and also giving you good news for your life. May God bless. Front Porch Talks is sponsored by Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene in partnership with Sunshine Ministries. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Front Porch Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for updates and the latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisonburg, Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.